0: Attention! If you want to come on head in, I'd like to welcome you here. If you're a visitor, uh, would like to welcome you. There should be a card right in front of you in the pew. Would love to have a record of you being with us this morning. If you would drop that in the basket uh, today as your offering, I'd like to give you a few announcements and also uh, make you aware of this Sunday being Sanctity of Life Sunday and talk about that briefly and then pray. And so. Tomorrow, the office will will be closed uh, in observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, There on the back table should be a list. Uh, This is January, so it's contribution statement time. And so if you would like a physical copy, they'll be sent out over email. But if you don't do email or would like a physical copy, there's a list back there if you would... Go put your information so that we can send you a physical copy of your contribution statement for last year. Uh, That would would help and would greatly help. So I want to make you aware of that on the back table. Uh, Also, Sunday the 22nd, so the 22nd of of January, not December, we will be uh, having a quarterly business meeting after our morning worship. So just want to make you aware of that, ask you to hang around uh, that Sunday. And so... As I said, it is sanctity of human life, and what that means is uh, it is our time together to be reminded of what God has done, in that every person, no matter ability, no matter capability, no matter point in life, is valuable because God has made us valuable, because God has infused his image into humanity such that if there is a lack of capability, they are still made in the image of God and valuable. Even at the end of life, there is still value because God has made humanity in his image. And so there is so much reason for us to be in prayer, for us to be in prayer for the unborn human, and also for... Uh, folks with special needs and also end-of-life care that, that these people in the image of God, that they are set aside, that they are valuable because of him, that we would be in prayer and also be aware, also be aware uh, in, in our own lives, and our own minds, to recognize and to extend the grace of God uh, to those and to anyone uh, no matter place in life and no matter uh, preconceived notion because of God's goodness and God's grace. And so, if you would, pray with me, ask the Lord's blessing on this time and also uh, on on His church in this world and in the powers that be, that we would represent God and His principles and represent well in this world against against darkness of the value of human life father god i thank you god i thank you for your goodness and your grace god i thank you that you have made humanity in your image and that lord our value doesn't come from our ability doesn't come from our economy it doesn't come from what we look like what we act like our value comes from you and you alone and so father would you help us god Help us in our mindset. Help us in the way we view people and what we do, Lord, that we, Father, would would see and uphold the sanctity and value of all human life, no matter where the stage of life is. No matter the capability that, Lord, we uh, we would uphold because, Lord, of your word, because of what you have done, what you have said. And because of the love that you have extended and showered upon all of us, God. So, Father, would you help us, Lord? May we not see the removal, the repeal of Roe v. Wade as it. May we not see that as, well, we can now find something else to deal with. But, God, may we look at the darkness in this world the hiddenness of so many peoples, and God, may we walk into those areas with the light of Christ, to seek to love people that the world does not love, the world would rather forget, the world would look at and say they're too costly, and Father, would you help us to recognize the cost that each of us had upon us and have upon us in our sin, that would send the Savior to the cross on our behalf. Lord God, would you help us to to go into those areas and into those communities, into those places, to love the unlovable, to love the people that the world would get rid of, Lord. To show you that others would know who you are and know of the gospel of grace in Christ. So, Father, would you meet with us this morning? May we hear from you in your word, God. That, God, you would convict us of thoughts and convict us of beliefs and mindsets that are inconsistent with your word and who you are. And that, God, you would bring us to a place of repentance and restoration this morning. We thank you and ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church
1: family, let's stand as we open with worship. And you're worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of thanks. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy Right. Jesus is the Lord Jesus is the Lord needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready, stands to say,
2: God's Word as we continue to worship by the reading and the hearing of God's Word together. If you are able, would you remain standing with me as we look at Psalm 135 this morning. Psalm 135, a call to come, to look, to behold, and to see all of the charms that are in God that are in being the people of God as we live our lives to glorify, to magnify, to praise His great name. Psalm 135, and as we read together, our prayer is that God would take this eternal truth and write it upon our hearts. Psalm 135, starting in verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Who makes lightnings for the rain? Who brings forth the wind from his treasuries? He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He smote many nations and slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless The Lord, you who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Church family, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, the call has gone out to your people. You have called us to praise your name. Father, we see in Psalm 135 a recounting of just some of the mighty acts from Your hand among Your people Israel. Father, we recall of Your deliverance from Egypt. Father, we see in that text You bringing about the promise that they would inherit the land. God, all of those things culminate in the one unified voice of the congregation of your people coming together to praise the Lord. Father, there is much that would seek our attention. There is much that would seek our praise. God, there is much that would say to us, this is a value. You give, your, give your energy and your heart here. So, God, it is good then that we have a day like this, Sunday, the Lord's Day. Oh, God, where we come together and where we are reminded from your word, you, who alone is worthy, who alone is full of honor and glory. Father, we are reminded of Your great salvation that You have granted to Your people through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we are reminded the heinousness of sin that led Christ to the cross. And Father, we are called once again to turn, to be ever turning from that sin toward Christ. So God, as we so often ask, would You help us to fix Our eyes on Jesus this day. God, there is much that would distract us. There are many cares, many anxieties, many problems, many distractions, many things that don't matter. Oh God, would you move in our hearts in this moment to give us the ability to, to, to close those things out. Silence what needs to be silenced. God, to direct our gaze where it needs to be directed. To put aside all worldly things. To come face to face with Jesus who alone has the words of eternal life. God, we love you. We thank you for this gathering of these people. God, I pray that you would be the lifter of weary God, that you would be an encouragement to those gathered in this room this day. God, that you would continue to make much your great name among us. Your glory, O oh God, we ask. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship.
3: blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once surrendered me, now seated at your table. Jesus,
0: as we continue in worship, we're going to look at our memory verse for the month from Zephaniah, and so we'll recite it out loud together uh, one time, and then we will pray. All right, so if you would, join me in reciting this verse from Zephaniah. Here we go. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God, the mighty one who is mighty to save. Just like we just sung, Jesus, thank you. Zephaniah didn't see the picture. He saw some of it we get to see it all we see our lord he is mighty to save he sent the son the maker of all things to take humanity upon himself he didn't send a superhuman not a marvel character not our best reasoning he incarnated the son took humanity upon himself that he would pay the debt of our sin. Not that He would come and conquer earthly kingdoms, but He would come and pay the spiritual price, the actual price that God's justice merits upon us in our sin. A very real sacrifice. He is mighty to save. Jesus has paid the sacrifice spiritually and physically that our sin is atoned for eternally. God is not a savior like we would imagine. No person, no human could write this story. It is God's goodness and grace that he has brought about salvation and life through his son, Jesus. Therefore, he will rejoice over you. He rejoices over his people because of the son. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I thank you for your mercy in Christ. God, you do not give us what we deserve. But you have laid what we deserve upon your Son. The Lamb of God, whose blood was shed, was given. The pure and perfect blood of Christ was given on behalf of your people. That anyone who would call upon the name of Christ on the Lord would be saved. God, we thank you that you tell us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, that if we repent, we come to you, we hear what you say in your word and respond by faith that you will apply what Christ has done on our behalf, and it will be true of us that we have been forgiven of our sin and restored by your grace through your spirit, paid for on the cross. God, I ask your help this morning, that God, you would draw us before the cross, that we would with boldness come before the throne of grace and find help, find mercy, find grace that we truly need this morning. God, would you open our minds and hearts to your word that we would hear from you, and be drawn to repentance and faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Church family, let me invite you to take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 3. This morning, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 is our text. We study together on this Lord's Day. So glad to see you here this morning. So glad to see you opening and flipping Bibles. The sound of pages turning in your Bible is music to every preacher's ear Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. So here's where we are in our study through Matthew's gospel. In between chapter 2, verse 23, which is the final verse of chapter 2, and then chapter 3, verse 1, some 30 years have gone by. Some 30 years have passed, and we know very little about what takes place in that 30-year period, especially as it relates to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know from Luke chapter 2, you recall at the end of Luke 2, verses 41 to 52, that we get that little moment, little snippet. Jesus is 12 years old, and they go back to Jerusalem. His parents kind of lose sight of where he is, but when they find him, he is there about his father's business in the temple. But outside of that, we get very little about this 30-year period in between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Furthermore, when you get to the beginning of chapter 3, we need to remember that there has also been no prophetic word from God through the mouth of the prophets for some 400 years. In in your Bibles as you look at the very end of the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It closes the Old Testament canon of Scripture. And it ends in this way, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 of Malachi, it ends this way in saying, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. And now, at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel account, after some 30 years between the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3, there is one who now comes. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. He he comes as one in the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures to prepare the way of the Lord. In Matthew 3... We are introduced to John the Baptist. John the Baptist and his ministry as a forerunner. One who comes in front of Jesus the Messiah. And like the town criers or the heralds of ancient days gone by, John comes before, he comes onto the scene before the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim to everyone that the King is coming. And John's responsibility, the very purpose for which John has been set apart in his mother's womb, is to come and to make the way ready for the coming of the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this about this moment in Scripture. The king has been in concealment long enough, and it is time for his herald to appear and proclaim his coming. And so with John the Baptist, this is what we see before us. Matthew chapter 3 is a bit of a transitional passage in Matthew's Gospel. We have worked through the events surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the months after He was born. Now 30 years have passed. And in Matthew chapter 3, we are coming to an understanding of the life and the ministry of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will understand His uh, not only His birth, but His life, death, burial, and resurrection. But first, for us, in Matthew 3, the ministry of John the Baptist. And as we study in these first three verses of the ministry of John the Baptist here this morning, I I want us to understand Him. I want us to understand what He was like and the very essence of His ministry. But church family, also want us to understand this, that thousands of years later, in our current moment, for you, the people of God gathered in this place together, that if you are in Christ this morning, like John the Baptist, you have a ministry that has been entrusted to you to go out into a spiritual wilderness of this world and to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's my prayer for us this morning. That God would raise up a congregation full of John the Baptists. Who would go out into the lands. To go out into the hard places. And call people to a repentance of sin and of faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord is coming. The king is coming again, and we have a responsibility to make ready the way of the Lord. Look at the text with me, Matthew chapter 3. Read these verses, verses 1 to 3 with me. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Next week we'll look at the following verses to see some more aspects of John's life, his ministry. What what was he like? But this morning in these three verses before us, I want us to see together if we can. Three unique features of John the Baptist ministry. As he comes onto the scene, as he fulfills the Old Testament scriptures about the one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. What was his ministry like? And how do we adapt our lives and ministries to what we see before? So three features of John the Baptist ministry. The first one is this. I want us to see together John's method want us to see together in verse 1 John's method. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist you, you remember maybe some of his origin story if you will. From whom did he come? What was the call of God upon his life? He is the child of aged Zacharias the priest and Elizabeth. Elizabeth who was advanced in years and barren. John is given to them with the promise upon him from God that he would be mighty in the hands of God, that he would be used mightily by God to go to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, to draw people, to draw Israel back to God and prepare those people for the coming of the Messiah. And we read of him here in verse one that he is called John the Baptist. It's not because he was a part of the Baptist denomination that hadn't quite come around yet, but as we'll see a little more in depthly next week, he is called John the Baptist because a major aspect of his ministry is baptizing those who have come in confession of their sin. And while we'll think a little more about that next Sunday, look here in verse 1 that tells us so clearly about the method of John's ministry. What is it? He came. Preaching in the name, or in the wilderness of Judea. When John shows up on the scene, he does not come with amusement and entertainment. He does not come with a weak message so as to tickle ears. He comes and he preaches. He preaches. Like the Old Testament prophets of old, he comes before the people of God into the land and he preaches a message. And the word preaching, whether it be here in verse 1 or throughout the New Testament, that word always means a proclaiming, a heralding, a trumpeting forth of God's message and God's truth. When John emerges onto the scene, get what he's doing here, church. And let's not miss it, for it is foundational not only to his ministry but ours. He's preaching. He's preaching. He's not suggesting. He's not discussing. He's not chatting. He's preaching. The authority for John in this moment is not derived in himself, but it is derived in the very nature of the message he proclaims, that it is from God. And so John, like the prophets of old, comes forth into the wilderness of Judea saying, Thus saith the Lord. This is not my opinion John makes clear. It is not my thoughts, I've not been sitting in a cave for the last 30 years trying to figure out the meaning of life or my place in this world. No, I come to you with a direct, clear, authoritative word from God, thus saith the Lord. When John begins his ministry, there is no question, there is no doubt regarding the method of his ministry. He has been set apart from Elizabeth's womb to preach, and preach he will. He will do so, as we'll see next week in particular, he will do so with great courage, and he will do so with great conviction. His preaching will aim at the heart so as to change both the thoughts and the actions of all who hear. Verse 4, just let your eyes uh, fall down to verse 4. Verse 4 makes clear that when John shows up, he has no interest in being dressed in the finest of his day. He has no interest in eating from large banquet halls and enjoying all the niceties that life has to give. When John shows up, he does not come in the ultra cool garb of his day. He is not garbed in the cool skinny jeans. He would not have made the the, the preachers and sneakers Instagram account that's a real thing, by the way. John is not up on stage in the, Cooper, in the super cool setting sitting at the sort of high and lofty coffee table having a family talk. No, this man, called of God, is preaching the Word of God. For that is what God's people need. That is what a lost and dying world needs. The faithful biblical preaching of God's Word. John walks out into the wilderness, symbolic, by the way, of the spiritual wilderness that God's people find themselves in in that day. He walks out into that dusty, dirty, barren wilderness and spoke in absolute truths. He's not out there being wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed. He's not out there hedging his words. He's making assertions as from God, assertions from God. He preaches in propositional truth so as to engage his hearers and persuade the hearts of men. Church, what do we need in our land today? What do we need in our buildings such as this today? It's the same thing we've always needed. And it's the same thing that God has always provided. Preaching. Preaching of His Word. Not to make much of the preacher. To make much of God's great name and His glorious saving gospel. Church, what is needed today is not a program or a slick package on Sunday mornings. What is needed today is not a more relevant message in a more palatable, easier to swallow kind of tone. What is needed today is not uncourageous hucksters who are good at drawing a crowd. What is needed today is preaching is proclamation, is truth, faithful, biblical, text-driven, Christ-centered, God-honoring, Spirit-empowered proclamation of God's Word, which, by the way, is the only source for salvation and sanctification. That, beloved, is the method of ministry. Preaching the Word of God. What is needed is courage. Courageous, convictional preaching that stands against the current of culture, that stands upon the authority of God's holy, inerrant, infallible, inspired, eternal Word. What is needed is not a talk that tickles the ears, but sermons that smite the heart and call for a response to everyone who hears. If the power is in the Word, then preach the Word. If the power to save the lost, to sanctify and encourage and edify the saints, if it's in the Word, then preach the Word. As Paul would exhort Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 2. What does John do when he shows up? He preaches. That's the method of John's ministry. It's the method of the church. And let me just remind us, if I can, would you turn to Romans chapter 10 in case there's any doubt in our hearts about the centrality of preaching the Word of God. Romans chapter 10. Would you look with me in verses 12 to to 17? Romans chapter 10. Paul has been working through this Beautiful theological doctrine of salvation and how we are made. In verse twelve, or start with me, maybe in verse eleven, the scripture says, "Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed." For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, faith? comes from hearing. Hearing by the Word of Christ. Church, may it be this day, next Sunday, ten years from now, fifty years from now, as long as the Lord tarries, may it be that what comes from this pulpit, in this place, in all churches, in every place, may it be preaching. Of God's holy, holy word. Oh, God, give us preachers. Not entertainers. Not even great leaders. God, give us preachers. That's the method of John's ministry. But secondly, what else do we see here in verse 2? What is John actually preaching? So we see here, secondly, John's message. John's preaching, so what is he saying? What's the theme? What's the point? What's he saying to the people? To what is he directing their hearts? Verse 2, here's John's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What a sermon. Repent. Why? For, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's preaching. John's preaching ministry can be summed up in a single word found here in verse 2. Repent. What's John all about? What's his message? What's his ministry? It is found in that singular word, repent. And here in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to see together over these next couple of weeks, we're going to see two different contexts in which this word repent is used. In verse 2, what we're seeing here this morning is that initial act of repentance. We ought to think about it as conversion. It is as though John is saying, be converted, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then next week, Lord willing, in verse 8, we'll see how there is to be ongoing repentance. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. It is the ongoing, defining reality for the people of God. But here, in the context of verse 2, repent is the initial act whereby a lost person is converted to saving faith. And we need to rightly understand this word, for I fear, beloved, that in much of our preaching, the idea of repentance is just absent. And I hope to help us understand that without a message of repentance, There can be and will be no salvation from our sin. What does the word mean? The word repent. All throughout Scripture, words that are used, whether it be similar words or this word repent, is all essentially calling us to the same understanding. The word repent, maybe most broadly, it means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And we can maybe dig down into that. Maybe we could say this, that it is a change of mind in regards to one's sin that produces a godly sorrow that leads to turning away from sin and to or toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not merely just one of those things. It is all of those things. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, we read that repentance is a turning to God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John is preaching that repentance brings fruit in one's life. In Second Corinthians chapter 7, we read that repentance is born out of a godly sorrow over our sin. And as we're thinking about that and putting it all together... We're settling in on the understanding that repentance, it has feet to it, if you will. Meaning that it's not merely a word we say or an emotion that we feel. It has feet to it that moves a person away from sin and toward holiness and righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without a turning away from, there is no repentance of sin. And repentance, beloved, is not merely just a a feeling sorry for one's sin. And it is most certainly not just being sorry that you got caught in that sinful action. While there may be a sadness over one's sin, it's a sadness that will actually lead us to a changed life and behavior. True Repentance is the call of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see various illustrations of non-repentance all over Scripture. Think about Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. Pharaoh, in that verse, acknowledges his sin. I sinned, but does he actually repent? No. Or in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22, the rich young ruler, you recall, he felt sorrow, but it was not a sorrow that would lead him to a repentance, to actually move away from his sin and toward Jesus Christ. Judas, Iscariot, who would betray the Lord Jesus, after realizing what he had done, would feel a regret over what he had done. But as we know, he did not move toward Christ. He only moved toward himself in that moment and died tragically. Friends, if you understand nothing else about repentance, understand that it is a walking away from sin and moving toward Christ. Thomas Watson, who wrote a fantastic little book on the doctrine of repentance, has said this, that repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly outwardly humbled reformed. Look at the word again in verse 2, repent. It's an imperative in the Greek. It's a command. Repentance of sin is not an option if you desire to be in Christ or a part of the kingdom of heaven. It is a command and it is at the very heart of all preaching. It is the message Unless there be a call to repent, the sermon is not yet complete. If repentance is omitted altogether from the language of the sermon, then a sermon has not yet even been preached. Repentance, it was at the heart of all biblical preaching. It was at the heart of the prophets preaching. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Repentance is at the heart of Jesus' preaching. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. It's at the heart of the apostles preaching. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. Let each of you be baptized. Peter again, Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come. So friend, hear me on this. That without repentance of sin there can be no salvation there can be no salvation if a person is not being called to repentance of their sin then they have not yet been called to christ jesus did not come to be an add-on to your old life he came to free you from your old life Not just to sprinkle him in, but to radically change you and make you different. Being a Christian, being a Christ follower, is not about living how you want Monday through Saturday and then sprinkling in a little Jesus on Sunday. That's a country song, not the gospel. And there is a distinction, I believe, in our culture in the deep south where we need to understand that being a Christian, a Christ follower, is not about living it up with the boys Monday through Saturday and then going to church on, on Sunday and singing Amazing Grace with Mama and them. That's not consistent Christianity, and it's not a repentance of sin that leads us to salvation in Christ. Christ. To be Christian, we must repent. As Christians, we are consistently ongoing repenters. And J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop of the last century, said this, this is just the teaching that we all need. We're naturally dead and blind and asleep in spiritual things. We are ready to content ourselves with a mere formal religion and to flatter ourselves that if we go to church, we shall be saved. We need to be told that except we repent and be converted, we shall all perish. Why repent? Verse 2, 4, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? We'll tease this out more as we move to other places in chapter 3 and 4. But the kingdom of heaven is the righteous rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is comprised of those who have believed the Gospel, repented of their sin, and come to a saving faith in Jesus. It is a kingdom not of this world, but it is nonetheless the righteous rule and reign of Christ in the hearts of His people and one day over all the new creation. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is it at hand Because the King of the Kingdom has come. The King of the Kingdom is here. That means then that everything about the Kingdom is present in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come. And so the question then goes out to everyone. Have you repented of your sin? And friends, you have not much time to repent. And all that I mean by that is just simply we do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know what the next moment holds. You have not much time. Even if you get another 50 years on this earth in the scope of eternity, that is nothing. That is nothing, dear friend. You must turn from your sin. You must trust Christ today. Make this prayer your own. Come, Lord, and tarry not. Come into my wilderness nature and transform it into a garden of the Lord. If You're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not sure. Hear me. Hear the call of God's Word. You must repent. You must turn from your sin and come to Jesus Christ. salvation. That's John's message. Thirdly, what is John's model? This is a model for us that we observe and then act upon, church. What is John's model in verse 3? For this is the one, speaking of John the Baptist, this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet. This is Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3. This is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one, watch the language, crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. John comes in fulfillment of ancient prophecies. The one who comes before the forerunner of Christ doing what in the wilderness? Crying out. He's preaching. Making Clear statements of truth about God and our sin and how we're made right with God, and he's crying out. He's shouting out. Notice even John's heart in this. And notice how this should be ours as well. We have a model here before us, church. It's a very simple model. I'm so thankful for God's Word that not only instructs us in rich, deep, doctrinal matters, but then there are just moments where I'm so thankful for this that, if you will, God just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. And He says to us, this is how I want you to do ministry. It seems maybe so big and so daunting and so overwhelming and we grow fearful of it when in all actuality, It's actually pretty simple. Here's the model in verse 3. Go into the wilderness and cry out to all who will hear, make ready the way of the Lord. Church, you and I, we may not be in the wilderness of Judea, but there is a spiritual wilderness, if you will, outside the doors of this building. And for all of the affluence around us, do not lose sight that there is a spiritual, barren wasteland right out there. And the call on our lives, dear church, is to be John the Baptist. And look, don't don't go home and sell your clothes and wear camel's hair. That's not the point. But the call is what? I've got a method that the Lord has given to me. I've got the message. And the model is now, I'm going I'm to go out and I'm going to make people ready for the coming of King Jesus. He is most certainly coming again. And this model is to be duplicated. It is to be replicated in every church and in everything that calls itself Christian ministry. Christian, in the room this morning, you are God's chosen instrument called to go out into the spiritual wilderness and get people ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? If we don't do this, who is going to tell them? How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe if we do not go And make Him known. We have a sacred charge to beckon people. To plead with people. To leave the broad road of destruction. And to enter through the narrow gate onto the narrow way that leads to life. And so we we, we do not then water down the message just because it's tasteless to our culture. We do not omit the call to repentance of sin. I know, by the way, I know what they're saying out there. They're saying there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as consequences to sin. I know what they're saying in that if you proclaim sin and and salvation only through Jesus Christ, at best, you are a narrow-minded bigot. At worst, you are hateful. I know they're saying that. I know that there is a real fear that exists in hearts. I know that there is a real temptation to clam up and to try to talk about some of the good things of Jesus and omit the sin that makes Jesus necessary. I know that that's a thing. So, Oh God, give us John the Baptist. Give us evangelizers. Give us preachers who won't water it down who will love their neighbor enough to say and do the hard things. Harry Ironside, early 1900s pastor of what we now call Moody Bible Church in Chicago, he once said this, that such a ministry is needed. It's needed greatly today. By the way, this was early 1900s. It's needed greatly today when men have lost, in large measure, the sense of the sinfulness of sin. It is useless to preach the gospel of the grace of God to men who have no realization of that need for that grace. Saints, we got to tell them, we got to tell them the whole story. And unfortunately, it involves the reality of, of sin that is separated from a holy God. Let me end with this. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll let this be the final word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talking about ministry in 2 Corinthians. I love it so much. And he says this. The last couple verses of chapter 5. After speaking about that God has reconciled us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 20, therefore, in light of the Gospel, in light of the reconciling nature of the Gospel, therefore, we, church, plural, us, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, church. Give us the Johns. Give us men and women of courage and conviction, of boldness, of a great love for neighbor who will go out into the highways and the byways and beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Two questions. Have you repented? Number two, are you calling people to repentance? Let's pray together. Father, your word is so relevant. It's eternal. It's always sharp. It never grows dull. Father, the message is just as relevant today as when John strapped on his sandals and went out into the wilderness of Judea. There is still a need for repentance of sin. There is still a need to turn away from sin and toward Christ. Father, the the reality in this moment right here is that I cannot work repentance into people's hearts. I can't make them do that. God, that is a work that you and you alone can do. God, your word tells us that it is your kindness that leads people to repentance. So God, here's our request, is that in this moment, for the one who does not know Christ, O oh God, would you lavish your kindness on them that they might repent of their sin? Father, while, while we've not discussed this explicitly this morning, your text reveals it next Sunday, but God, to all, all people in the room, there is an ongoing need of repentance. So, Father, in the ways that we have not repented, Maybe we have felt bad, but we've not turned away. Maybe we've confessed, but we've not turned away. Oh God, I pray that you would work the kind gift of repentance into our hearts. God, settle upon us as the church the reality that we have a sacred task before us. The King is coming. We are his heralds. We go before the second coming of the Lord to make him known so that men and women and boys and girls do not die in their sin and pay for it in in eternal hell. Oh God, make us serious about these things. Bind our hearts to this task, we pray. So God, by the work of your spirit and your spirit alone, Help us to respond faithfully to the preaching of your word. And we ask it in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen.